Welcome everybody to Panfish Nation. Along with Mark, I'm Lyle, and Mark, we got a great show tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun with these guys. But I have an announcement I'd like to make right quick before we get started. My wife Cindy's nephew is 40 years old, and he has colon cancer. Um, he's got just started in a new family, in, in his family. He's very young, so uh, if everybody could keep him in your thoughts and prayers, she would appreciate it. So would I. There's no reason for a 40-year-old man to be strapped down with stuff like that. And with any thoughts and prayers that you guys have or any contact with the big guy, we'd sure appreciate it. Thanks so much. Mark, how's it going? It's going good, Lyle. Absolutely. He'll be in my thoughts and prayers, and, and I'm sure everybody in chat will, will be pulling for him, too. Um, it, it's going pretty good. Unfortunately, I just uh, got home from awake and stuff, so there's stuff going on everywhere. Um, you know, just keep everybody in their, in, in your prayers, and, 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 and we'll all get through this together like we always do. Correct, Lyle? Absolutely. What do you say we say hello to people in chat? Let's do that. All right. Would you like me to get started, or I'll read through the list. How about that? Yeah, that'll work. I see Betty Jean. Betty wants everybody to know, or I, I think she would want everybody to know, if you're on antibiotics, stay out of the sun. Because she really got roasted the other day. Betty. Yes, she did. And we I don't want nothing to happen to our little sister, tall Betty. This is true. Uh, so uh, heed her warning and her experience. Avid Fisherman, what's going on, Avid? Avid, fresh off his Catfish Weekly uh, show this week. Good job, buddy. Miss Chrissy Brown, my favorite Brown. Cindy Stokes, uh, how are you doing, dear? Your prayers are coming out to your family, definitely. Country Boy Catfishing, what's going on, my friend? Ernie Brown, fins and fowl, what's going on? Fishing with the Chad, good show, uh, Chad and Dockery. I want to say hello to Katie because I'm sure she's listening in the background. Get hooked with D. How are you, D? Uh, always great to see you in all of these great chats. Uh, unless there's a prize because you and Betty, you always win that. Sometimes <laughs> I hope they're if there's giveaway or something, if they're not in there, my chances are, are better tenfold. Uh, we got great outdoors exploring. What's going on, Sean? There he is. James Dockery just popped up into the list. Jason Lamb, what's going on, Jason? Hopefully you're killing them catfish down there. Uh, Keith Dubois Outdoors, what's going on, Keith? Thanks for joining the show. I believe it's a new name. Uh, you don't look familiar. If you've been here before, please forgive me. Uh, Mike Sampson, what's going on, Sampy? How you doing, bud? Mr. Gadget Fishing, outside with the haze. What's up, buddy? Uh, I see Panfish Nation. Hey, that's you, Lyle. How uh, did I get in there? Papa Ed. Ryan King, Stonefly 71, Straight to the Point Outdoors, The Block Experience, and the great Tim Molina. Uh, let's see if I missed anybody here. They might have popped in. Uh, Fins and Fowl, I believe I got you before. I think that's everybody for now. If you if somebody pops in during or if you start chatting during and your name gets populated, we'll try and holler you out during the show. Absolutely. So... Patrick and Steve Corcoran, is that correct? Corcoran. Corcoran? Okay. Yes, sir. I found you guys watching you tie jigs on YouTube, and that is something that is extremely dear to my heart. I do a lot of it. On some Saturday nights when some of us are not busy, three or four of us will get together and go live on Panfish Nation's YouTube channel. And we'll sit there and tie jigs and explain to people how we do it and then give them away. And uh, we have a good time doing it. 
And whenever I run across somebody that I like what they're doing, I reach out to them and try to get them on our show. And I was really impressed with the quality of the way that you built the jigs. Come to find out, you guys do a whole lot of other stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little bit of it, you know, a little bit of everything, I guess, for crappie fishing and then the, uh, you know, air rifle gun stocks and pistol grips. And so that's, we, that's like the, we like the outdoors. So we, uh, we absolutely all of it. Well, that's great. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and where you're from and what all you do do so we can kind of get this. And yeah, I did say do do. Just, just get ahead. <laughs> I know that's coming in chat. Somebody cut that out in chat. That's it. Do we got to get a copy? But go of that. ahead and let everybody know what you're all about because, like I say, the jig time is just a small part of it. And that was the part that impressed me the most. Well, um, we, we live in Gainesville, Texas. Uh, both of us grew up right here. Um, and we're both actually getting to live on property that we grew up on. Uh, that was our grandpa's land. Um, we spent a lot of time hunting and fishing on this property right here. All of his stock tanks and creeks and different things like that. So it's something that we both grew up doing. Uh, you know, when your kids, it doesn't matter what fish it is, as long as you get that tug on the other end. So that's right. Uh, you know, as far as my part of things with, with crappie fishing, and I kind of got my brother Steve into that whenever I went to college, it was something that uh, I started doing then. And, uh, and really fell in love with it, the vertical style jigging for, for crappie. Um, I, we don't use any live bait ever. <laughs> so um, it's just, and there were some gentlemen there that I learned from that tied their own jigs. And uh, those guys always left with 25 fish. It didn't wow. matter. And uh, so I kind of got interested in that and began buying jigs from a, a gentleman from Cross Plains, Texas, who made little little hair jigs. And he had his own head mold and all kinds of things like that. And uh, so really got into that. My brother, Steve, would come down and visit me, and we'd go to that lake and do that during the winter and kind of got him hooked into it too. And uh, so... I decided I wanted to start making my own stuff at one point. And just like everybody does, you go to Bass Pro Shops, you buy a vice and feather. I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, of course, you didn't have YouTube and all this stuff at that time. <laughs> so um, first time I sat down at a vice, I didn't have a bobbin. So thread was going everywhere. And, uh, and so that kind of put a hiatus on that, put a, kibosh on it for a while and I didn't pick it up for another couple of years till I uh, started coaching and teaching out in West Texas and uh, got to the summertime and I needed something to do so I got all that stuff back out and uh, well it's kind of grown into where we're at today so um, you know buying products from sources all over the country you know the first feathers i bought were from a place in oregon and uh, the colors changed all the time you know you order a chartreuse feather it might be more green it might be more yellow and you know so i have all these supplies and i'm like you know through time you just developed your own thing and whenever we 
wanted to start this business, one of my goals, I wanted to start dyeing feathers. And uh, so that's a big part of what we do now. Um, uh, and actually, because of getting all those different kinds of chartreuses and different blues, and I found different uses for them through time, I now try to dye those colors. <laughs> so I have them. Try to match them up, right? Yes. And because, uh, you know, my big thing is I like to match plastics and, uh, you know, Bobby Garland, all these guys, they can pour anything. And, uh, and I've kind of gotten a pretty good niche of being able to copy most of those. Um, our chenilles are based off of those things. And uh, my feather colors are too. And so that's where those videos come in. You, you know, if you and watch them, you'll hear me say what we're trying to make. And, uh, course you got your own patterns that you've come up with over time as well but you know so that's pretty much what's led me to this um and where we're at today and what we're doing but um steve's story with the gun stocks is a little different i imagine um well um steve corcoran um i've lived in texas most of my life uh married 27 years got two daughters uh, they're out of the house, um, and so it's just the wife and I again. And um, um, so, how I got into—I've been woodworking since I was a uh, young kid. I was just fascinated with carving wood and shaping wood. Um, it's just—I don't know—it's it's like anything else, like your your jig tying and so forth. You just you you get kind of fall in love with it. Um, and at some point, uh, I wanted to uh, have a, my own business with my woodworking. So I started experimenting, uh, made my own takedown recurve um, bows, um, did a few other things, and had a gentleman I worked with ask me if I would build some competition groups for uh, his son's 4-H shooting group. Um, I did that um, and uh, kind of had a few folks interested in that, was building up a few things for the air gun industry, just on the side while I had a job. Um, then my youngest daughter was diagnosed as a type one diabetic when she was two and a half years old. Um, really kind of um, changed course uh, for my wife and I as for what our focus was going to be. Um, so one of us had to work out of the house once she started school. Uh, to be there for her, um, you know, go to school, you know, do blood sugars, insulin shots, all that stuff. Small school, small town, not, a, you know, not a lot known about the disease. Um, they didn't even have a school nurse at the time. So I quit my job and so, well, I'll just do this woodworking thing and see where it takes us. I thought it would be something temporary till we got through and got some things figured out with her, but as it turned out, it turned out to be an opportunity Um, you know, was blessed um, that I had an, uh, had some a good imagination and the work ethic and the, and the skills to follow through um, and turned it into a business. So um, that's that's how that got started. Um, it was, you know, kind of a push come to shove kind of a deal. But then, it, you know, like I say, we were blessed. Uh, I. I had an opportunity and we seized it. So um, that's that was that part of it. When I started this business, I called it Woods and Water Outdoors because I thought at some point younger brother here was going to bring in the water part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, once he completed his career out there Monday, 
uh, coaching and teaching. So that's how Woods and Water Outdoors started years ago and, and now has come together to what you see on both websites. So That's awesome. So is it, is it all uh, air rifles that you make stocks for, or do you do, let's say, a 1022, anything like that? Uh, you know, I've, I've done some firearm stuff for some local guys. Um, obviously, we could get into all the stuff that's going on with firearms right now, but um, it, it's I can have all the work that I want with air guns without having any of the legislative stuff impact me. So. Gotcha. Uh, I just stay focused on that. I've done some firearms for, for some of the local guys, but I don't, I don't do anything with firearms outside of just a local area. It's it. I, I have all the work I want just with air guns, and I can charge just as much for the stuff. So I stick with it. Now, is it is it mostly uh, competition air guns that you're uh, building stocks for? So you know, I think a lot of people have uh, kind of a misconception about air guns. Um, you know, everybody thinks of air guns. Your old grandpa's, you know, Benjamin pump rifle went to there's tons of those things out there um but the air gun industry has evolved like any sporting goods industry has over the years archery all of it um these things are sophisticated they're powerful they're very accurate so people think of when they think of an air gun they think is somebody standing there shooting an olympic sport with an air gun well that's that's part of it but there's probably, um, and I know for a fact, that recreational shooting is much, much larger. So uh, you have a wide variety of air guns, anything from plinking, shooting your squirrels in your yard mm -hmm. to competition shooting, or people just like to plink and, you know, with an, a nicely built gun with a nice piece of wood on it and just sit in their backyard and, and hit small targets or shoot paper, things like that. So it's, it's actually a, a wider, um, complement of activities you can do with air guns that most people just don't realize. Yeah. They're, they're, they're quiet. They're, they're cheap to shoot. Not necessarily yeah. cheap. Cause I know there's some high dollar air guns yes. out there. Yes. Yes. Air defenses, but ammunition for, for the most part is readily available mm -hmm. and buy a 10 or 500 pellets and you can spend four hours shooting that stuff for 10 bucks, or 12 bucks, you know, you can't do that with a firearm. You pull the trigger two or three times and you're ready at that amount. So, um, but there's a lot of the guys that we work for some of the older gentlemen who have gone through that gamut of firearms. They don't want to pull something that's kicking them in the shoulder and, and loud and have to wear all the earmuffs. They just want to yep. plink and shoot and still enjoy the sport of shooting. So they, they all sooner or later, they all kind of turn to the air gunning world. It's definitely something fun to do, especially with the family and friends out in the backyard. It's not it's as, a good, as yeah, that's, that's one thing that I like about what, what we do. It's very uh, family friendly, you mm -hmm. know, uh, shooting sports. It's finesse shooting, air guns, finesse shooting like archery and, and fishing. Very family friendly uh, sports, something that anyone and everyone can participate with. Absolutely. I'm going to say hello to a couple of people that showed up a little late in chat. I see Mike Irvin in there. I think I saw uh, Cunningham Outdoors. He was a guest on our show. Thanks for coming back. Robert Andrews. We got Kelly at the Bullock Experience. We got your friend and my friend, Mike Chavez from Fishing and Cooking with Mike Chavez. I see Thank Kevin you. Baker. Kevin added Nuts and Bolts Fishing to his name. Uh, how you doing, Kevin? Uh, Tom Harris, a.k.a. Papa T. What's going on, Papa T? I see Justin's Fishing Fetish. I see Ryan King. 
I might have said Robert Andrews. We have Eric Massey Jig Company in the house. What's going on, Eric? Uh, Country Boy Catfishing. Hopefully, I didn't miss anybody else. Uncle Lou, obviously. Hello, Uncle Lou. How you doing, bud? Uncle Lou just got a load of new rods in, so keep an eye out uh, for the Uncle Lou. Uh, Uncle Lou Catfishing Rods, I'm assuming. Justin Fetish has joined us. Hey, Justin. What's going on, Gabby's dad? think we're good yeah so one thing i wanted to make sure um i know i'm a city boy i'll admit it stock tank what is a stock tank i know it's something different in texas than it is up here <laughs> so if you could explain to me in the chat what exactly a stock tank is um well uh, really it's just a pond um i guess we call them you know stock tanks actually supposed to be made out of concrete i think <laughs> but we just prefer to our mud ponds and stock tanks sometimes but uh i think they were mostly uh initially uh, I, I, we call it maybe it's short for livestock tank everybody uh -huh. in texas who owns any kind of land has cattle uh so you have to have a water source for them if you don't live near a creek um it's you get out uh you know some machinery and you dig a hole and you hope it rains so uh that's a lot of what a stock tank uh in texas is used for is to water your animals water your cattle animals and, animals and so forth and how i mean they got to be pretty decent size if there's they got a lot of crappie in them right yeah i mean it's um yeah. the probably average depth might be 10 12 feet yeah that's uh, pretty good size. Know, um it's it's become quite the recreational sport in texas to buy land and 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 pretty it up so uh, these stock tanks are becoming larger bodies of water because it, it becomes uh, a lot of people, uh, they, they buy these places and uh, they make them retirement or getaway estates. So mm -hmm. these little stock tanks are growing into small lakes, not large lakes. So uh, lots of fish. Uh, that's part of it, too. Every one of these bodies of waters has, has some sort of fish in it. We, we have a person that's in chat sometimes, uh, Becca, she lives out in Texas, and she I know she talks about the stock tanks on, on her property and stuff, and the first time I heard it, I was like, stock tanks? I had this picture of this big steel steel thing she's fishing in, you know, like a 10-foot round circle. So I want to make sure nobody fell for that like I did the first time. And let the people well, it, uh, some of this stuff, everybody from Texas knows what we're talking about, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're the foreigners when it comes to you guys. So that's that's quite all right. Texas is a great place, man. I really admire the state. I I like to visit there. Like we were talking before, my wife uh, uh, was born in in Texas, so uh, it, it does have something. It's just that heat in the summer. I might come down there and visit you guys when it cools off a little bit and go fishing yeah. in your stock tanks. I'd be honored. November, to do that. <laughs> November through January is pretty hospitable then. Yeah, my kind of weather. So if anybody has any questions in chat, we're, we're definitely taking questions. All right, so uh, what are your favorite colors for crappie jigs that you're tying? Well, uh, I've kind of gotten in the habit where most things are blue most of the time. I, I do a lot of blue, um, whether it be the, the bluegrass or your ice, blue ice. Um, uh, right now, my best chenille is called mahi, which is a darker blue. Um, I'm having quite a bit of success using it. So, mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, of course, everybody puts chartreuse in everything. So that, that kind of goes with just about all of it. But uh, 
So uh, I'm kind of a blue junkie. We, we have a little lake that we've spent lots and lots and lots of time on over the last 20, 25 years. And it seems like it, it needs to have blue in it if you're going to catch anything there. It doesn't have to be all blue, but it needs some blue. So uh, if you look through our uh, selection of things, you're going to see quite a bit of that. <laughs> and it, it was because of that lake. And so... Uh, and, and how can people find your stuff online? Where, where do they need to go? We're at woodsandwateroutdoors.com. Dot com. Okay. Oh, if somebody would, if someone would be kind enough to share that link out in the chat, we'd really Absolutely. appreciate it. Now, there was one thing that I had told you before the show started that I was looking for on your site and I couldn't find. And now I remember what it is. It's um, Bucktail. I, I do not tie with bucktail. Um, that's why I couldn't find it. That's why you couldn't find it. So <laughs> I do know that the telling materials is one of the areas that we probably need to grow in. Um, for the most part, through my time, I've used kiptail and, and hackle. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, and really, I started off using saddle hackles early on because, you know, when I started really tying and got into the feather portion of things probably about 17 years ago, I, I didn't notice neck hackle being an option. Um, but now everybody wants neck hackle because they want to cut the Vs right. uh, and, and do those things. But uh, so I was a big saddle guy, which so I have actually a lot of saddles, um, you know, strung saddle. Um, right. And I, that's, if, if I'm going to use one of the other, I would prefer that. That cutting the V's out takes too much of my time. Yeah, my, time my time's worth too these much. These hands are very dainty. I have a hard time doing it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> look like sausage links. Uh, it just takes too much time for all that for me. By the time I do all that, I could have already built another one. So, yes, sir. I agree. Yeah, I don't do it. So if you notice, I don't use V's. <laughs> no, so. Yeah, I, I did notice that. And I thought maybe I was the only one. Because everybody talks about saving this and saving that, man. When I cut out of what I wanted, the rest of it goes to trash. <laughs> I, I don't have don't have the place for it, don't have the time for it, um, right. and that's maybe one of the reasons why I like bucktails. That may be. You can use a lot more of your material. That's for yeah. sure. So, yeah. well, it, be quite honest with you, Lyle. Yeah. When I tie, I use a lot of hair, um, more so than Patrick does. I don't use as that's much what hair. happened here. Well, <laughs> I've got a little my haircut, but it, I do that just because of the simplicity of it, you know. Um, yeah. uh, and so I can tie a whole lot more, just like what you said. It's a lot more efficient that way. Yep. Um, but there's certain colors you can't get that stuff in, and that's right. And you get a lot more movement out of them feathers too. So it just yep. depends on the situation, uh, the time of year, and what we're trying to do, or what we're trying to accomplish fishing wise is what I tie up, but. I'm a hair guy myself. So yeah, I have to say, after looking through your site a few times, and there's, I have a list already on there. I just need to finish it and send the money in and get you to ship it to me. But you guys have got one of the greatest selections of chenille that I've ever seen and, and some of the most beautiful stuff. And you can buy it in small quantities or you can buy a big quantity of it. And yes. nobody that I know of offers the, the quantities that you do well uh, you know as somebody that has tied for a long time uh, one of the 
our main missions here is to actually cater to what crappie fishermen and jig tires need and want. Um, whereas the rest of these companies are just companies that sell products. Uh, yeah, they just want to make money. They don't. They don't have a guy sitting there that's trying to make jigs too. So, um, and you know, it, it kind of became a fun thing for me to play with the chenilles and see what I could create. And you know, we did a lot of, like I said, in college and and uh, for many years we did a lot of public fishing on public docks on some of these lakes. And uh, you know, you sit there and see some guy with his plastic. Um, catching a dog out of them. I've never seen that plastic before. Well, a lot of these people are pouring their own plastics. And so, um, and then when they get done with them, they just throw them down on the dock, right? And so I'm sitting there walking down on a dock one day and I look down and I see this plastic, I pick it up and I'm like, well, this is a private pour. This is not, I've never seen it on any website or anything not, like that. Not a commercial pour. And I'm looking at it and I go, now I can make that chenille. I send him an order and a couple weeks later I got it. I whip it up, go out there to that same dock. I start hammering fish with it. So <laughs> <laughs> I got him in Lyle got me into tying some jigs. I don't do as much as I wish I had time for. But when I caught that first, the first fish was actually a bass, not a crappie. I got like a pound and a half bass. And then I slayed the crappie on just a little white you know, one thirty-second ounce jig, and man, that felt good to get on there. That I, to get on that fish with something that you made yourself. That's oh. definitely a good feeling. So, and you've been doing it for how long? So, I guess the feeling doesn't get old. It does not get old. I've been time for twenty years. So, um, once I finally got into it, after I figured out all the things I needed to have, but um, so yeah, it's it, that. And whenever you create something that nobody else has and you go out there and you're, especially, like I said, we fish a lot of these public docks and you're just sitting there catching fish left and right. And they're like, where'd you get that? <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot of attention, some of it unwanted, but you get a lot of attention. You I'll, know, bet. So I'll bet. Now, do you fish big lakes or do you fish small, small tanks when you're crappie fishing? We we fish, you know, the uh, core engineers lakes and everything here in the area. Um, I, I'm a I prefer the smaller impoundments, you know, the less than 12,000 acre type lakes. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of big Lake Texoma's 20 minutes from here. Ray Roberts, we can be on it in 15 minutes. Uh, those are big bodies of water and fishing those is a little different. So yes, yeah. it is. They can be demanding. The quality of the fish, especially on Texoma, is really good. You know, and then we've got Fork about two hours east of us. Everybody knows about it. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. What's it like fishing on a lake like Fork that's so pressured? I mean, it's 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 pretty well known nationwide. I mean, this the city boy knows about Lake Fork. Uh, I imagine the pressure makes it kind of hard to fish. Well, it depends on what species you're going after. If you're bass fishing, that's a problem. No, I'm not bass the crappie, fishing. The population, the population of crappie in that lake are so good that I don't know that you can fish it enough, to be quite honest. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's it's that good. You go out there, you catch whatever fish you want. Um, it's, it's, and it's been like that for quite some time. So the things that have made it a good bass impoundment are the same things that make it a good crappie impoundment. But it's known for its bass fishing. And, you know, but everybody that crappie fishes – 
they know about it too, you know. So well, that's the benefit of tying your own stuff. You're gonna go put something in front of their face they've yeah, never seen, seen before. before. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you're mostly um, vertical jigging, is that what you were saying? Mostly vertical jigging. So um we got a few lakes that we fish, we'll shoot some docks at certain times of the year. Um, but you know, when I, you say vertical fishing, like yesterday, we went out a little lake here by our house, um, and uh, those fish were hitting the, the jig on the drop. So we're we're backed off the brush pile and pitching over the top of it and Let it swing letting in. it swing into it. And right about the time it'd get to the top of that brush pile, you'd see that line pop Jump. and set the old hook. So, uh, you know, you do whatever the fish tell you to do. Um, yeah. If we need to cast at them, we'll do that too. There you go. I'd like to welcome Stu in from the Total Angling Experience. Glad hey, to see him in chat tonight. Stu is a great guy. He's a big crappie fisherman too here yes, in Illinois. He, is. he he gets some monsters as well. Thanks for coming in, Stu. It's always good to see you. Parker Pursuits. Tim hey, Lane. Jerry. And Cunningham Outdoors is here, still in here. So cool. Yes, he is. So when, you, when you're tying a jig, what are you taking into consideration as far as how it fishes? Or is it just color? Or are you, you taking in consideration rate of fall past and beyond, let's say, a jig head weight and stuff by the amount of, you know, feathers you put on there? How, how technical are you getting with it? Well, uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm not going any more than two feathers. Um, okay. In fact, I don't ever put any more than two feathers because uh, once you add a little bit of flash or any other material that you may be uh, putting in there, you know, that's that's more than enough. And I, I really like a streamlined jig. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't like the big, thick, heavy stuff. And not saying that there's not a use for that at some point, but for me, it's always been that real thin tail and almost like a stinger look um, if you're thinking about a plastic. And as far as heads goes, you know, for most part, I'm a 16th ounce. Um, and then we'll, I've just now the last few years gotten to where I start fishing quarter ounce, um, especially during the winter. Um, yeah. when we're fishing really deep, uh, trying to catch fish in 35, 40 foot of water. We'll, we'll double rig quarter ounce jigs and uh, slow troll them, you know, off drop offs and things of that nature. So, um, you know, it, it, you're, you're going to fish whatever size the, the fish tell you they want. Yep. You know, when they get real finicky, I'll go down to the 164th, 132nd, and, uh, you know, work those real slow. Um, and for me, I think every lake has its own personality. Uh, so I'd agree to that. I, I totally agree. Pink is a hot color here in the Midwest. And the lake I fished, man, they hate pink. They won't touch <laughs> right. it. <laughs> right. So it's like I told you about that lake that, that kind of led me to creating all these different chenilles. At, at one point, um, I had four tackle boxes that I would carry. And so there were 24 colors in each one of those. So, you know, that's uh, what is that? That's 96 different color combinations. Well, it, every one of those at one point had caught 25 fish on that lake. And it seemed like every year I had to create something new just to catch fish on that, 
that body of water. So <laughs> that's that great uh, chenille selection that you've seen, Lyle. There, that's your reason. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I'll be See, making a visit. You, you I got a couple to... of you got a couple of 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 easy targets in chat as well, including myself. Oh. And you got this other guy in the catfish and crop you had. He's gonna. You guys are gonna. Get, you, he's gonna want your phone number so he can call you up directly. So. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you, when when I started telling these guys about tying jigs and stuff, and we started doing this, uh, Mark got it tying stuff, James got tying stuff, Chad got tying stuff, but Chad is an addict. Yes, uh, he is a fly tying addiction, walking on legs, and he's already been to your site. In fact, he's left a message in chat says, "Oh my God, I could probably go." I probably will get into a lot of trouble on this website. And I warned his wife before, before the show. I warned his wife. You warned his wife. I did. <laughs> she well, said, I told you. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's the some really cool colors in there. The uh, what, what are your favorite kind of jigs to use? Are you uh, um, uh, a traditional guy? Or are you uh, um, a sickle hook guy? There's this... Uh, um, kind of discussion that's going on online between a couple of us and a couple of the YouTubers on whether sickle hooks are worth it or not. What do you think? Well, um, I went to sickle hooks uh, myself, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, because uh, I got tired. Our Aberdeens, it seemed like I would pull, because we don't net anything. You know, we're, we're, we're flipping them in. And I started noticing them Aberdeens just sliding right through the top of the roof of the mouth. And I don't know if it was the brand I was using or, or what, but uh, when I made that move to the sickle hooks, that disappeared for me. You weren't and getting I, them in the roof of the mouth? No, we'd get them in the roof of the mouth, but that hook would not come out. So, That's good. They, they uh, would stick. I use, I use a sickle hook for, I actually use those Pro-V um, Aberdeen hooks for pan fishing that's exactly what i'm finding with them is you get them in the top of the mouth right through the snoot and it does not come out right so so i mean that's where i'm at with that i'm not saying that aberdeens are you know not going to do the job but you know they've been working for decades. a long time, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> so, so it's really you know so much of that stuff comes down to everybody's personal, personal experience personal preference yep and confidence right and, uh, you know, with the different rods that you're fishing, I'm not sure that that doesn't make a difference on those hook sets, too. And I totally agree. agree. You know, with, with, with the introduction of these light, high tensile strength uh, braided lines, uh, it stresses everything in ways that, uh, you know, these components hadn't been stressed in years before. So with that braided makes line, people, people have to learn to use braided lines. Yes, uh, you do. It's not monofilament. It's it's. If you ever get adapted to it, you'll never go back. But some people don't get adapted to it, and they and a lot of that's because they don't take the the time to learn to use it. They're so used to use monofilament that had stretch, and with braid, there's no stretch. Myself no, personally, I love that, uh, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of people just can't get used to the fact that the stretch is not there. And they do a lot of things with, with that that you can't do with, with that. And you go back to monofilament, you get away with it. Right. 
Well, we you use a lot of the braid during our winter months up here. That's when we're fishing that deep water like that. Right. It's the sensitivity and the strength of it. And you're not fishing around brush or timber or anything like that. So uh, you can use some lighter weight stuff, tip it with, uh, you know, with fluorocarbon, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. if we're, we're hand lining, we're fishing anything 20 foot and less, it's pretty much mono for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I use a four to six pound mono. I just started using 10 pound uh, um, a braid, but that's because those rods double up as a long line trolling line, rod, yep. trolling yep. rod. So, uh, right. but, but you know, I'm finding it, it works good for, you know, if I'm fishing with a cork or, or if I'm casting to them. I don't do much vertical jigging. It's something that I need to practice because I can't get my darn trolling motor to stay over that brush pile for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to take me a while to get it to stay in one spot, but I'm working on it. Nah, we got a question from Cunningham Outdoors real quick before I forget. Uh, he wants, he says, I might have missed it, but you guys make walleye jigs. We carry a walleye head, um, but I haven't gotten into the, the making of the walleye jigs. So, and actually the head that I carry when I told you all about the, the older gentleman I bought jigs from when I was in college. That's I took a bunch of his jigs apart and I had a mold made of them. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and are you pouring your own jig heads? Yes, sir. We we do. We have a spin cast machine here. We have custom molds made. Um, so yes, we nice. pour our own heads and sell them. Nice, very nice. And I have another question from Keith DeBose. Now Keith lives out in North Carolina, and he said he just got home from Lake Wiley. He's sunburned and wore out, been vertical jigging, but can't get any size, just numbers. Any advice on areas that might hold bigger fish this time of year? Well, not knowing much about North Carolina, but uh, I would be, if the lake has standing timber in it, that's more than likely where the larger fish are going to be. Um, and so, and a lot of times during the summer, you got to wade through all them small ones to get to the big ones. And so, That's true. Um, there, there might be a 15, 20 minute window when you do catch the larger ones and then they're done. So it's, it's a matter of sticking it out. And a lot of times if you in, been around some of these guys that fish professionally, uh, a lot of times those big fish go rogue. Uh, they'll just go out and they'll just, be by themselves in open water on drop-offs or points, humps, stuff like that, that they don't do the same things that the smaller, younger fish do and stick on brush piles, stuff like that. So if there's a lot of bait fish population in that lake, you, you might find them things just God knows where. So um, it's it's really kind of a, a tough deal. It's in, in your fishing for one or two fish, that's a needle in a haystack right there. Yeah. And, yep. you know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it's just been recently in the last few years that we've kind of confirmed that that's a fact because of the use of stuff like live scope and stuff, right. correct? Yes, yes. And, that, and that's what proved that out. Uh, like I say, mm -hmm. I got to know some professional crappie fishermen, and, and that's what they're finding out, that they're, they're finding fish where they didn't they would have never fished before. Mm hmm Everybody's looking for piles and stuff, and that's not always the case when it comes to the big ones. My big, what I always tell people when they want to find bigger fish is move. 
a lot of chances for some reason at least i find that a year class fish sticks with the same year class fish for they the most that. part you know, early spring, late fall, when they start to commingle is when you can start to peel. At least up here in the north, you can, you, when they commingle together, when they mix together, you can start getting different sizes in the same piles of fish. But in the summer, they, they kind of stick together for some reason. I don't know why. And that's pretty much, that's true down here in Texas, too. Yeah. We have our local addict, uh, Mr. Chad, says, can you explain the difference in your Chanel Medium size versus a seventy-two yard skein. He's already on the website. <laughs> yeah, he's he's picking your part, man. He, I think he wants to know how much difference is. You guess one seventy-two yard. How much is in the other? The other. Okay, yeah. so just the 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 three dollar forty-five cent bag has twenty feet in it, and then a skein has seventy-two yards. It's That's how I should be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and all of all of our chenilles are size four, and then we also carry a large size chenille that is a size eight. Um, and the reason why, you know, I did that, and especially the large, is you know more people are fishing quarter ounce size jigs. It seems like, and if you're Traditionally, most people carry a size two, maybe a size three chenille. So if you're tying a large jig, those guys are triple wrapping those things. And yeah. you're using 12 inches, you know, to make that jig. And Instead with, of four. And yes. And with this large chenille, you're going to use three to four inches to make that jig. And it it's perfect. And so... Um, also makes for a fuller body too. I agree. Uh, I, I, I like them to look full. And then, uh, so the size four, um, depending on which type of uh, chenille it is, if it has a lot of crystal combined with the rayon, those will tie a little smaller. Um, if it's just a speckled chenille, which is you know two rayons or two nylons mixed together, those tie a little larger in the size four. Um, but through my experience, I settled with size four because I could time, you know, up and down the spectrum jig sizes with that without having to waste material or use a, more than what I needed. Um, right. So we have uh, James Dockery uh, made a comment, said a 72 yard skein would last Chad one week. It's due to total angling experience. Those big fish are looking for shade this time of year. Uh, standing timber, docks, etc. Probably bridges too. I'd imagine. Correct. I guess. Yeah. That's that's a great analogy. And there was something in here. Somebody wanting a hat. You might want to address Mark. Um, I don't see it now, but somebody in here had made a comment. Oh, Ryan King. I'd like to get one of the catfish and crappie hats. How can I go about that? Ryan King just messaged me on the uh, catfish and crappie Facebook page. If you have Facebook, if not, you can uh, email me at marketcatfishandcrappie.com. Uh, sorry to interrupt you guys. Uh, I am out of hats now, but I hope to have some soon. So uh, I'll, I'll let you know via email. Thanks for asking, bud. And welcome, Mike Greenwell, Eric Burnside. Cool. Yeah, I knew once we got into... Uh, your your page your store that we'd have some guys looking while they was listening instead of watching they go over there and shop and <laughs> that's okay because we have yeah we got people in chat 
that are good enough to post your links to your YouTube page and links to your store so they can go there. And if it's something they're interested in, they can save those links and go back to them all the time. And hopefully, while they're on your YouTube page, they'll go ahead and subscribe and, and turn on the notifications. So when you come out with new videos, and I promise you, you'll want to do that because the videos that they put out are really well done. Um, I watch, I've watched all of them, I believe. Uh, I might have missed one, but I'd be surprised if there's one that got by me because when I get intrigued by somebody doing good jobs, I usually binge watch them till they're done. And I'm pretty, pretty sure I got all yours. Well, I keep them very, very simple. I, I don't, I try not to, you know, because I know people are going to sit there for 15 minutes. You know, oh, I uh, would, yeah. So, <laughs> but you're right. Some don't. Some don't. But yeah. um, you, you explain how you go about doing the jigs and stuff. And there'll be a lot of people that follow Panfish Nation that'll appreciate that because they can go in there and see exactly how you do it. And they, if they're into tying jigs, they can go ahead and make some. And if they're not, then all they got to do is get a hold of you and they can order some up. They can do that. They can <laughs> do that as well. Hey, I got a self-serving question here. How do you tie a monkey milk looking jig? Well, well, you want to explain that from watching the video? <laughs> no, I'll let you do it because I've been working on one. If there's there. a video, I'll go watch it because that's, that's a, the hot color where I fish this. I time. don't have the that's Chanel that you've got that that I think it takes to make that. I've tried it with some of the stuff I got, and it don't turn out nearly as nice. So the Chanel is in the order that I have waiting on my computer to be sent in. But I was waiting to see if you done if you done bucktail. Go ahead, go ahead and do it. That Chanel's been very been flying out of this building. I will tell you that. I'll bet. Uh, so the the monkey milk, and even this Chanel that we have, when it gets wet, it's going to be a little too dark. Um, and you cannot create a chenille that is that light um, and have the colors in it that people want to see. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where the plastics has a little bit of advantage over this, these materials, the rayon and nylon. So um, the, in, the, in the tail, I use all pretty much flash stuff. Uh, I use a blue pearl flash, a green pearl flash, um, bait pearl bait fish emulator, and then something that, that is called predator wrap, which is barred um, black. And so, which is a very neat material that I don't really think too many people know about. Um, so I put a little bit of that in the tail to give it the black specs that's in the monkey milk. And then uh, we use the blue milk, milk chenille, but like I said, it, it gets dark when it gets wet because of the black mylar that's in it. That just turns it really dark. Um, so after well, dark fishing, isn't a bad thing in clear no, water, though. No, no, it's not. But after the first time of fishing that that jig, when I made it just with just that chenille, mm -hmm. and I didn't have the results that I wanted from it, so I was like, "Man, I got to make a change here." So what can I do to lighten this thing up? So. I just took a pearl astaz and wrapped it over the top of that chenille. And next time I went fishing, I caught fish. There you go. So, uh, 
So that's that's our that's our monkey milk jig. So well, you kind of you kind of like gave it its own monkey milk camouflage by adding the stripe and breaking up that dark color, right? That's exactly what I'm thinking you did, right? Right. That's what we did with that. diffusing it. Yes. And 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 personally, I could be wrong, but I think the reason why colors like monkey milk or clear colors or really dark colors work real well is because fish can't really see them as well as they can other colors, and they just hit it out of curiosity, right? They see some sort of shadow or something like, hey, I'm going to miss this. Would you agree with that kind of statement? Well, um, I, you know, with with your dark colors, I, I think it presents that that shadow. I mean, it, you know, the light, mm -hmm. you know, so with that, that monkey milk, I see that looking like your bait fish all day long and tomorrow, too. So, um you know, especially the way that blue and that green shimmer comes out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just something about that. And whoever, you know, came up with that plastic, you know, kudos to them. Uh, because it, it's an outstanding thing. And now you're starting to see it incorporated into other designs of other lures. People are putting a chartreuse tail on it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it, it's something that's, that's really working very very well so um it was my goal to come up with something that because like i said i'm not buying plastics and i'm not fishing with minnows so i've got to figure out a way to make these things that are working <laughs> well that says a lot you know it says a lot about you you know part of the expression you either put up or shut up you're actually right. going through and figuring out what works and and following through with it so that that's a good thing so i like to hear that mo creek fishing's in the house what's going on rob how you doing maurice Kaysen would like to know what you guys's youtube channel is uh i guess it's probably under patrick corcoran i think whenever i, I said that up, i wasn't wasn't thinking about the business, maybe. <laughs> yes, yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah, Parker Pursuits and Mo Creek Fishing. You will be getting an order from this gentleman. His name is Robert. Um, I promise you, he's already looking yeah. at that page too. Mm -hmm. One thing we're kind of finding out, uh, you know, we've fished Texas, Oklahoma our whole lives, uh, but we're actually getting schooled on other ways and uh, other applications for catching fish from people ordering different products uh, across the nation. Uh, kind of get an idea what guys are using, you know, in Indiana or somebody using in North Carolina that we would have never thought of before, even though Patrick had the colors here through his experimentation. We're finding some of the stuff he experimented with here didn't necessarily work here. The right. guys are like crazy somewhere else so right. his instincts were great it just weren't texas great but they were great for other states so we're learning a lot of this as we go along that's cool it never ceases to surprise me what works and what doesn't you'd think something oh this has got to work and then like last week and i threw something called mardi gras this was the loudest most gaudy looking <laughs> little two inch paddle tail i won't mention the name and i caught a ton of fish on there i got bass crappie i even got two walleye on that darn thing i was so surprised <laughs> well it's let me tell you a funny little story i have a mardi gras myself but i uh -huh. don't think it looks like the plastic um so uh long time ago we used to fish a little tournament on a lake down in central texas that was put on through the college i went to and 
Um, so I went to Hobby Lobby and I found the uh, the metallic thread. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, thread. It's multicolored. And yep. uh, there was a cutter called Mardi Gras. And I thought, man, that sure looks cool. So I took it and uh, I used it for the body and I used it for the tail, put a pink head on it and then put a little bit of white in the tail to bleed it down a little bit. And uh, so I tie up about 10 or 12 of those to go, go to this little fishing tournament. And it was the only thing we could catch fish on. That was it. This little, th- what I call a thread jig. Um, Cause that's all it, it wasn't nothing to it. You know what I mean? And uh, so that was all we'd catch fish on. We lost every one of them I had in the brush and everything. So I go, go back to Hobby Lobby and I buy every little strand of that they've got. And then use that all up, go back again. They don't carry it anymore. And I'm going, oh, shoot, I need this stuff. Get online. I find three reams of it left in the entire United States. And, and get them. And when I say reams, they, they come in little 10 yard spools, you know. Oh, wow. That's yeah. it. That's all there is. They don't make it anymore. I'm like, so, so I had to make a chenille. <laughs> <laughs> that works. But I have, I have saved those three little rolls. I actually only have one left. I've got one little 10 yard spool left. And that's being saved for a special occasion. <laughs> so, we got any more uh, questions in chat here? I'm looking. All right, so crappie fishermen, we love to eat crappie. Are you guys crappie eaters? Oh yes. Yeah. What's your favorite way to cook crappie? Ooh, well, probably you know you can't just beat good old fashioned fried crappie. Yeah, okay, outside of fried, how else do you like? <laughs> outside of fried, how else do you like to eat them? Because you're a man after my own heart when you answer like that. But well, that's not yeah. the only way I eat it. Well, um, I'll grill it um, and use basically almost the same seasonings as I use as I put in my uh, my my breading for my fried. Um, but I also add Parmesan cheese on top of it. Ooh. Kids kind of like that. And uh, we've made uh, crappie cakes. Those are good. Oh, and those so, are good. Those are good. And then uh, like a salmon patty, except you use crappie. Crappie, yep. I bet that is good. And I have used it in gumbo, but you don't know it's in there. <laughs> you, you can smell it, but you can't see it. <laughs> Uh, those crappie cakes are a winner. You know what I tried once? I diced them up and I mixed them up with hush puppy batter and I made crappie hush puppies. Those are pretty good too. Ooh, those yeah. weren't bad at all with a lot of cayenne in it, but I'm a I'm a madman when it comes to heat. So I have a another question in chat from James Dockery. Have you guys ever thought about making and selling plastic tubes? No, we have not. And so okay. um really if if you look at everything that we have in our store i owned all that personally before we started this business and so when you talk about the amount of money that somebody has spent on on tying their own jigs um i just never really and i'm kind of frugal in this way i never really saw the reason to spend all the money on the plastics and everything too 
Yeah. Um, and so, cause this is where I was headed and it was the direction I wanted to go in. Um, so we haven't, I haven't put that to, uh, as, as one of the things to do just yet. So, uh, okay. You know, there, there's so many people out there that have that covered. I don't know what else you, now they're, they are, they're coming up with stuff all the time. Um, I can see that being fun, you know, to, to pour things and then, well, let's see what color we can create today. Uh, but my preference is to do it with feathers and chenille. So there might be a way to recreate a tube jig, right? Tying one up. I don't see why you couldn't figure something out like that. Oh, all kinds of people use, uh, use the combinations. Yeah. They, well, all kinds of people use plastic in these ties too. Mm -hmm. um, you take those, your spinner bait stuff and cut them like up. the twister tails. They cut off the tails on them. I've seen those quite yeah. a bit like that. Yeah. And so do you, you get into any of the, the beads and the uh, UV cement stuff, or are you guys not doing any of that? I, I haven't gotten into that. I got a couple of my uh, clients that are, are, you know, keep showing me stuff and saying, you need to, <laughs> you need to try this and that. So, uh, you know, when you ask me, I'm a pretty basic guy, just old round head with, with just some paint and, um, or maybe no paint and, and just go on with it from there. So, yeah, don't mind me. I get carried away like this conversation today. I've been stepping all over Lyle. Lyle, you got any questions for the. No, I'm reading the chat. Chad says, Oh my God, Rob, are you looking at that Chanel? <laughs> Rob says, I am. <laughs> we're kind of, we're out of quite a bit of our stuff. And that's just kind of across the industry, I think, right now. Everything's hard to get. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, you know, Danville's behind. And so it's, uh, it's going to be a while before that we're completely stocked back up again, unfortunately. Well, is that a lot of that due to shipping since the coronavirus episode? Well, I, I think, um, what happened is everybody got, uh, you know, they needed something to do. And I think a whole bunch more people became jig makers. Was there at home? Yeah. yeah, they're at home. And they, they sat there and watched YouTube videos and said, well, I want to do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly sudden, right. The, the industry just got hammered and, and they, you know, people can't keep up with production. So um, that, that's that, awesome. and I also think, and I, I'll put this out there that, uh, you know, Danville catered to fly tires for many, 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 many years. And I think crappie fishing has taken over the chenille business. And uh, so a lot more of that material is being used than it's ever been used before because you don't need that much of it in a fly. No. No. Um, so things have changed and i think maybe uh maybe we've they've been caught off guard a little bit the injury industry hasn't caught up to what's happening that's that's what it is i think you're right about that hey sk how you doing this ought to be right down your alley one of the premier jig tires in the nation has joined the show hello sk i know him or we chatted a little bit yeah, he's quite a guy Quite a guy. He also does shows on 
Wednesday nights comes on yes. late, like 10 o'clock. I'm in there most most of the time. Was in there all night last night. Uh, this is this this one here just don't seem fair. <laughs> Blames me for having you guys on. Oh boy. <laughs> hey, you know what? If we get you a couple of sales and a few subscribers to your YouTube channel, this show's been worth doing. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I hope it works out. <laughs> One of the things we're, we would like to see happen, obviously, uh, and it would benefit our business, is get more people involved in this. We'd like to see a youth movement towards this. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, you, you go fishing, and, and typically it's 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 an older crowd that are crappie fishing. But I don't think people quite realize that uh, crappie are a lot easier to catch; they're more plentiful. Um, you can have, you know, if you want to have a big time tournament crappie fishing, you can just like you can bass. Uh, I, I think it's it's a much more inviting sport for people to, to participate in. So we'd like to see a youth movement towards crappie fishing and thus jig tying and, and everything that's associated with the sport. And if you guys figure out a way to do that, I will help you in any way I possibly Absolutely. can. Well, having shows like this obviously helps. Uh, you know, Patrick and I started fishing this this little crappie tournament uh, on one of the local lakes on Tuesday nights. There's as many guys fishing this thing as any local bass tournament going on. That's so, awesome. You know, so it's 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 gaining some momentum. I um, I had told you about Rob, and Rob is Mo Creek fishing. He's got a four-year-old granddaughter that we done a live show with her tying jigs with him. Oh, no kidding! Oh, yeah, done so. a, he done a video of taking her fishing using her jigs. Oh, awesome! Good. good. That's that's it good. is. Right That's this kind of stuff that will, but all all four year olds are not interested in no. doing it. <laughs> and her attention span didn't last the entire show, but she can tie jigs. There's no question wow. about about That's that. Awesome. She can do it. She even sent a few of her own jigs out to a couple of the viewers that were watching. That That's night. right. That was That's pretty cool. cool. Yep. She's yeah. um, Abbott wants to know if you guys make nymph jigs. Um, you know, I, me and the little bitty stuff, I don't know that we get along very good. We <laughs> <laughs> don't quite have the sausage fingers you got, Mark, but uh, they ain't small. Man, you know what's not fair is when I get a 12-inch crappie in these big baseball or these big baseball glove hands of mine, it looks like a little guy. Make really does not much for my social media game, but we're working <laughs> on it. I, I just haven't. I don't know. I hadn't sat down to, to try my hand at that stuff. I, I sit there and look at pictures of them and think, man, oh, boy, I don't know. So I used to do that stuff years ago uh, when I'd done a lot of fly fishing, which was a long time ago. Um, that's where I got started doing this stuff and then recently uh, graduated over from, from tying flies to jigs. Uh, and as I've got older and my glasses got thicker, it's easier to tie jigs than it is to tie flocks. Right. No, fact, no doubt. I've now, got a few of the little hooks. I just. I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. 
I was thinking about getting those big bug-eyed glasses they sell everywhere online for oh, yeah. jigs. Right. Whatever it takes. Or one of those one of those lighted glasses that's on a swing arm, you know, we swing it in front of you. I got so. it. The only thing is my wife took it for her needle point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question for me. What's your opinion on like live scope and live imaging stuff that's out there these days? Well, I, I guess that it seems to be get with the program or get left behind is about the way it looks. So, it does, doesn't it? Um, you know, when that stuff first come out, and a you know, friend of mine, he really keeps up with all the new electronics and everything like that. And so he's got one of those good jobs where he can fiddle with his business, but play on the side with, you know, looking at fishing equipment all day long till. Um, I, I saw that come out and I thought, well, there's no way they're going to let that in the tournaments. It's taking it all away. You know, everything, it's all gone. You're, there's no hunting the the hunt is over <laughs> so, um, you know you're not using fishing instincts anymore you're using you know uh, information uh to, to right. be successful um and it, it probably depends on what you're wanting to do if you're wanting mm -hmm. to do it competitively you just about you got to jump in but right. you don't need that stuff to go out and catch cropping that's it's not needed you know, simple electronics, you know, how many people still fish with cork and minnows off the, off the bank and catch all the crappie that they want. So yep, it depends on what, what your participation level, where you want that to be. If you want it to be at the highest level, yeah, you're going to have to buy in. But uh, Patrick and I fished for a lot of years without stuff like that. We caught as many fish as we ever wanted, you know, so it depends on where you want to be. Uh, I'm going to put my two cents in here real quick. If you want to be competitive, you're going to have to have it. You know what? Yeah. I, when I'm catching fish, I'm not thinking about live scope. When I can't find them suckers, I'm wanting a live scope. <laughs> <All right. much. laughs> I, I watched the uh, the ACT tournament. I think it was on Truman the other day. The cup was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And in the weigh-in right there, they announced that there's going to be another tournament. And you can either enter non-live scope or you can enter and use live scope. So there are going to be two divisions. And wow. And so I thought that was really, really neat. And uh, of course the guy advertised it as we need 50 boats in each division. And it was apparently what people have said they wanted to do. And um so he says, as long as we get participation, we'll keep doing it. So I think know, that's a great idea. Have yeah. two different classes, split it up a little bit like that. And, and, the and, money then, and then afterwards, fun. afterwards, the two sides can fight it out over who's a better fisher. I have a grand champion, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Well, that's a tough, that's a tough call. I knew when it come out with that. I didn't when it first come out, I really wasn't too worried about it. But after we all seen how good it really was uh, right. and all the other companies moved towards something like that, um, even though I have a 360 imaging, which is not the same, but it does amazing stuff also. Right. Uh, I knew at that point that something was going to have to give because um, the people that couldn't afford the new technology was going to be mad. 
and yep. the people that didn't have it was going to be mad, and the people that had it, it was happy. Very <laughs> happy. <laughs> they sure were. Yeah, and still uh, are. You know. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, you know, and a lot of people spent money that they probably weren't wanting to spend just so they could continue to be competitive. I agree. Or try to I, be. I think a lot of them have spent the money. Uh, if their wife knew how much they spent, they probably wouldn't be spending it. <laughs> You're probably right about that. <laughs> I agree. I, guys, I got to tell you, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on here with us tonight. Um, Absolutely. I'd like to extend an invitation for you guys to come back and visit with us again. Maybe, maybe when you get your inventory back up to where you consider it needs to be, and you'd like to share that information with people, contact me because I okay. think we've had a wonderful show tonight. I, I yep. hope you get a bunch of subscribers to your YouTube channel. I hope Chad and Rob don't buy all the stuff before I get my order sent in because I know they're in there just beating it to death right now. Uh, but I hope that you do do some good with that, and we'd love to have you back on the show with us Absolutely. at some point. I had a pleasure talking to you, gentlemen. It was a real good time, and and, and I'd like to, uh, to extend an invitation to have you on my show too sometime in the near future, so I really appreciate it. That'd be great. Very good. We appreciate y'all reaching out to us and, and giving us this opportunity. So it's a pretty neat deal. Oh, well, thank you guys so much. We've been going on a little over an hour, and I done a three-hour deal with a gentleman earlier uh, where I was helping him with a live feed. So I'm about live feeded out for the evening. <laughs> it was a great show with both of you and Maybe next time we could talk about uh, Steve's um, wood custom grips and stuff that he makes for the air guns a little Absolutely. bit more. Uh, it doesn't sound like he needs a lot of help getting work. Sounds like he's a pretty busy man, but, too. You know, you never I've, I've know. Been doing this, I've been doing this as long as Patrick has been doing his crappie stuff. So that's awesome. uh, I stay plenty busy doing it. But, guys, it's – it's it's kind of neat if they want to, we have crossover links between both websites there'll be people go over and take a look it's just kind of interesting and cool because a lot of people don't realize how far the air gun industry has come oh i so know it's really kind of neat to see some of that stuff even if it's you know amazing. if you don't buy or interested yeah. or anything so well keep those fly time jig time videos coming out because it gives us old guys something to do when we're not busy and well, you uh, bet. I did want to make an announcement. Uh, guys, I was going to go live tomorrow and fish tomorrow morning. I am having uh, some brake troubles in my truck. I can't haul my boat. I apologize. Uh, it's nothing more than that. So if you're expecting to uh, see me uh, dragging baits for those big flatheads tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to make it down to the river. I apologize in advance. So uh, that's what's going on, guys. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you, Patrick and Steve. We appreciate it so much. And, uh, I want to let everybody know there's a bunch of shows on. I'm not going to try to hit them all because I always forget somebody. But the oh, one man. I can remember is Monday night on Catfish Weekly. Fishing and stuff himself. Keith will be on the show, so please join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great show. And I'm going to put a little teaser down. I'm waiting for confirmation 
it has to do with weather, but I might have a really big guest on right afterwards. He had agreed to to wait until uh, Keith and you are done, which might take a little while. You never know. <laughs> but if he's if he's at home, he's not out of town because of work. We're going to have a big guest on my show too. So. And that'll make for a great evening of entertainment. It sure will. Thanks everybody for watching. See you next week. Bye bye everybody. Thanks guys. Thank, Thank you. you.